Youth ministry can always use some big ideas. Ideas that are faithful to relational ministry, but also provide some crazy, fun, and life-giving resources for youth leaders, youth in leadership, and the church. Now that's religion. This is the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Your source for information, discussion, and feedback in youth ministry of all shapes and sizes. Now, here are your hosts, Michelle Thomas-Bush and Cliff Haddock. Welcome to the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast, a podcast resource for the church as we seek to be faithful to our ministry with and for young people in all settings and sizes. And this week, we are not doing this separated by hundreds of miles through Skype. We are in the same room at the same table in Montreat, North Carolina at the... ARW Arts Recreation and Worship Conference and we're in a room that has actually has living people in it. Yeah, we are alive. We are alive as they say. We are alive. And we're going to have some different conversations with some different folks that you're going to hear over a couple of episodes most likely. Uh but first we've got the man who is oh, first of all before we get to the man let's get to get to the woman that 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 my goodness, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be doing this in the first place because she created the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group, Michelle Thomas Bush. We're next to each other. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I want to introduce Bill Buchanan, who is our guest this evening, who is going to talk to us about some missions, some post-colonial mission work. So we're glad you're here, Bill. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Okay. <laughs> Bill has been serving as our worship leader this week, but also has an amazing mission. If you haven't heard about it, it's not just in one city. It's not just in two cities. It's in three cities and does mission in a way that exposes people to in that not drive-by way of mission that unfortunately happens a lot. You mm-hmm. really take people into intimate settings to experience what it is to know the people that they're working with. Well, tell the people about just just Asheville, Raleigh, Memphis mission mm-hmm. and, and what all you do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, over the last 10 years, we've developed Asheville Youth Mission, Raleigh Youth Mission. Is it called Youth Co-op now? Well, no, it's, it's, I'll get there. Okay, it's, okay, it's, okay. It's, it's Asheville Spoilers. Youth Mission, and then we added Raleigh Youth Mission, and most recently we've added Memphis Youth Mission. So then we created this umbrella organization known as Youth Mission Co., uh, to kind of house all three of these programs, the co being uh, cooperation, connection, collaboration, coordination of your That's mission awesome. immersion experiences. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. So, unpack this mission in in post colonial. You know, that's a lot of words that some people may not have ever been exposed to. So. So explain it to us like we don't know what you're talking about, because in some level we don't. So, (laughs) So, yeah, this all started for us, uh, this whole idea of trying to talk and have a more post-colonial perspective. Um, When it, it all started when we started looking at the recent critiques of short term mission experiences and mission trips. Uh, when we started reading things like, you know, uh, Toxic Charity, when uh, Helping Hurts, uh, some great blog uh, posts about short-term mission experiences and how those things have gone bad, um, how they have been less than helpful. So uh, my colleagues at Youth Mission Co. and I started thinking through this and talking through this. 
what is the underlying thing that is causing these bad experiences? You know, what is the underlying thing that is kind of rubbing wrong and just not uh, not offering mission in the way that it should be or could be in the 21st century? Because we're going to still do mission work. There's still mission needs in the community. Mm-hmm. So those questions need to be asked. Right. And so, you know, we, we, we sort of, uh, we, we took the notion of, well, maybe people are just going to stop doing these kinds of short-term mission experiences. And for that matter, perhaps could start backing off from doing mission in general under this do no harm kind of mentality. If we're going to do it in a way that's not helpful, then let's just not do it. Well, that was the conversation because some of the research showed that, you know, if you go to another country, they could do it better than we could. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. why are we even doing it? Right. So that was really the push. And the question was, should we even be doing these mission trips? And so I'm glad you're asking those questions. So what is it that you're Right. So, yeah. So where we came out on that was, well, if we just said, hey, y'all quit coming and let's just stop doing these mission experiences, then that sort of lets a whole generation off the hook in terms of engaging in the rest of the world. And we feel like our culture is already as insular. uh, It's so insular already um, that we don't want to just kind of perpetuate that and say, well, just don't get engaged in anything outside of your congregation. We felt like that's the wrong message that was going to be taken the wrong. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. So then how do we do it faithfully, right? So what it caused me to do was to back up and just start thinking broadly about mission um, throughout the church's history, now, I'll spare you a big, long, you know, historical yada yada on it, but it it went from, you know, Acts and this idea of the church trying to survive in spite of or against the empire, meaning the Roman Empire, you know, and and then it shifted with Constantine to being tolerated by the empire and then kind of being in cahoots with the empire. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we became part of the empire. Right. And so the church kind of went from being the hammer to, or being the nail to being part of the hammer. Right. So then you do mission really differently that way. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) When you've got all of that. So uh, fast forward all of that to the colonial era when European nations are, you know, pushing into the new world, as it were, when it's a world that's been there anyway. But <laughs> North America, South <laughs> what America, what we thought Africa, was the new world, right? Right, new to us, right? And uh, <laughs> they start taking this whole uh, notion of spreading religion this way, of um, you know, going into these areas, and the way that they dealt with, and in some places, these horror stories that we are starting to hear now. Um, about the way that native people were treated, uh, colonized people were treated. And, of course, in this country, there's this whole thing of African slaves that were being Mm -hmm. brought here and how they were treated. And all of this, in in all of this, there's a mentality of, well, we, the relatively well-off, European-descended folks, uh, we're, we're just a little more evolved a little more advanced so is this the white savior complex exactly right and so it starts out in in uh you you know sort of this uh uh 
really dark kind of ex- thing that we see in the colonial period. I think as it as it develops uh, further into the 1920s, 1930s, it becomes more of a benevolent kind of thing of we want to help these poor people, but there's still this mentality. There's still this mm-hmm. echo that we are the ones who are a little more advanced. We've got it together. These folks don't. And so we're going to going to do a nice thing and help them out right so when we go on a mission trip that's what i think young people think and i think parents think that we're going on this mission trip to help people and we're the ones who have something to bring in to give right whether it's christ or resources or Exactly. Or, or literally taking God somewhere that God wasn't. That, right. That, that, that feeling that, right. like, well, God won't be there until we go. Until we get there and we bring God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think in many ways it's all very well-meaning in, in this mm-hmm. day and time, right? But what we have discovered uh, as we start um, talking with folks who are living on the margins, building relationships who are living on the margins— um, there's this whole dynamic, like, man, they know the Bible really well, <laughs> better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, man, they, they know some things. Uh, they do hospitality have, really well. Right. They worship for three hours and we're pissed if it goes over by two minutes. There's, yeah. There's this whole thing. So what we've, what we've done is really started shifting our fundamental, uh, notions about what mission immersion is all about, right? The meta-narrative, this underlying message, is that these kids come to benevolently spend a little of their time and energy and resources to teach, help, you know, assist these folks who uh, are in need. When the truth is, there's some things that we need to learn from those folks, mm-hmm. So we we flip the script on our groups uh, when they arrive and say, you probably came here thinking you were going to help people. We are going to help some people. We're going to try and be helpful uh, wherever we are. But you're also the object of this mission experience. But if we were to say to our churches, come on a mission trip because you need some help. I mean, that doesn't mm-hmm. work. Now, I think parents truly do think their young people need to go on a mission trip because you need to realize how fortunate you are. That's not what you're saying. Right. Now, I think there is a dynamic, especially in, in this uh, current generation and coming generation, um, of uh, insularity and needing to get kids out of the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. and get kids out of the gated community um, and experiencing real people in real situations that's real different from theirs, mm-hmm. right? So I think there is that in a sense of, man, I didn't know how all these other people were living and the struggles that they were experiencing. But it's not for an end point of, and now I'm so grateful. We hope that they will start asking, and why is it? that I've got all of these things going for me and these other folks don't. Hmm. So that's been a real shift for us that we're making in our debriefing. It's asking young people to keep stepping back and asking, why is that? 
And why is that? And when they keep stepping back, I think where we typically come out is that our um, selfishness or blissful ignorance or self-interestedness ends up hurting other people. Mm. And we're complicit in that sometimes. And sometimes we're active participants in that kind of thing. Um, And so what we hope is that they come back from experiences Asking what the the mission program that my church does, how are we approaching that? What are the end goals for that? Is it just like benevolently giving people a little bit to get through the day? I mean, that's a that's a good thing, but it can't be the only thing, mm-hmm. right? How is the whole system going to change if we so just asking keep doing some that? of the bigger questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, we have some people listening to this podcast that are going on mission trips, what are some of the things you would encourage them to think about? So if we have some youth leaders, some youth advisors, chaperones that are going, Mm -hmm. and this may be the first time they've thought about this, Mm -hmm. what would you challenge them to think about Mm -hmm. um, as Mm -hmm. they prepare to go on a mission trip with young people? Mm Mm-hmm. I would say one of the first things to do is uh, to encourage them whenever possible to talk to folks that they are meeting in these uh, immersion experiences. And we started, we've started changing our language about it. Instead of saying mission trips and things like that, we talk about immersion experiences, mission immersion experiences. So encourage them to, whenever they can, talk to those folks that they are meeting there in that local context Mm -hmm. to work through agencies that are there 365 doing this work um, and be part of their ongoing work. And then to um, encourage young people when they're talking to folks in another context to think, how is this person teaching me something? What is that person teaching me about the way that I'm living, the way our society is set up, the systems that are in place? So, for instance, um, sometimes when we're at uh, particular mission sites, there will be somebody who walks up that is clearly struggling with some mental illness issues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be uh, a bit agitated. Um, and we want to run away. Pre- right. And we're so, oh, shield the children from this. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> we actually, and we want, always we want to keep kids safe. And typically when we are in these situations, there's somebody from an agency that knows. Knows the person, knows, knows the, the situation. Pers- right, knows them long term, right? So we're kind of part of that relationship with them. But that person who is uh, struggling with mental illness can teach us, boy, there is a gaping wound in our country when it comes to how we support folks with mental illness. And if this person was getting the support that they needed, this situation wouldn't be like this. How did it get like this? Mm-hmm. So now we're backing up and having a big uh, conversation. And so then, you know, they can go back home and probably somebody in their youth group is related to someone in the, uh, you know, uh, healing arts of some kind and can talk about mental illness. And or in how the Senate or in the right. government who can make some 
exactly. changes in the laws. And so this really becomes the thing is that once they start tapping into the larger issues at play, then they can start thinking about their own sense of agency mm-hmm. in it. When, when we watched March for Our Lives, it was like, bam, wow. This is what young mm-hmm. people are capable of. Of course it is. And this generation is really going to make some changes. The generation of young people we're working with mm-hmm. are saying we want to do things differently. You know, the sociologists have said there's really only four generations and they mm-hmm. keep recycling. This one coming up it's is different. Yeah, it is the the next greatest mm-hmm. generation, yes. you know. That's going now it's going yeah, it's going to play out differently. But I'm convinced, man, they're, they're ready to make mm-hmm. real changes. Okay. Yeah. We, are, we have a room full of people here, and I am curious if anyone has anything they'd like to offer in this discussion, be it a question, a comment, something along those lines, that something that, that Bill has said or that we've commented that you have something to add. We have a, an extra mic. Does anyone have anything? Um, I'm curious about how you balance the um, kind of inherent selfishness of – we're going on a mission experience for us, but also for other people. What's more important? What's less important? How do you find your way in that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question because there is uh, sort of this thing of a, a mission trip is different than going on a youth conference, right? Um, at a youth conference, it's about us bonding as a group and learning some things and processing that as an individual in a group. It's kind of self-oriented. Um, a vacation is different and we get, you know, a lot of kids who are coming on their first mission trip and we need to say to them, feel like it's helpful to say to them, this is different because you're here for other people, right? So you need to get some sleep tonight because you got to get up and do some things for other people, right? And so we don't want to get rid of all of that. I think that that's helpful, but then also to say, um, you know, there's some things that the people that we're here to quote help are also doing to help us be open to that. Every time I go on a mission experience, I learn something new about myself, about the world. We, we learn things about resiliency um, that folks are experiencing that's different. I've never had to have that kind of resiliency. We're learning that. So there is, there is this balance of, um, Take in what is being offered to you and receive the, quote, help that you are getting while also being open to uh, sacrificing and helping for others. Kind of like the Christian life. It's a know? delicate balance, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm curious yeah. If, you, if you have any thoughts on, especially in churches where there is a tradition of a one of the things that would fall in the category of a toxic charity or or that ha- that the church has always done this and we feel good doing it but the reality and I'm not going to call one out specifically but certain ones we think of that like we've done it for so long how do we begin the process of educating a congregation that there's a better direction to look at and that this really isn't the helping thing we think it is yeah well you know it's funny because i think that young people actually are best suited to put those messages out there, right? When they do the kind of mission report back sort of thing for their congregations. Um, And I'm imagining things being said like, you know, I went there thinking that, boy, they're just, you know, some really uh, 
people who are in some uh, desperate situations, oh, those poor people in that poor country, man, I've really learned to respect them. I've really learned to appreciate what they have to offer. When they pray, man, they're really praying. It's different than how we pray. And, you know, when you have those kinds of messages coming back of here's what I get from the experience um, and put that out in front of the congregation, it changes the way they think about it. The other thing I would I would say is that in the structural part of setting up a mission experience, particularly one that's international and particularly one that's like every year if they're going to the same place, there's a question of, well, the folks that are there – how are they uh, brought to the table to be part of the planning of the experience from the beginning instead of us assuming what they need and what they would want? Well, that's the partnership. You always yeah. have to ask what is, what's needed. Is mm-hmm. this something that is needed for them? Is this something they desire or is it something we're choosing yeah. for them? I, I was at a workshop one time where somebody described a mission experience that they – knew of had heard, heard about these folks wanted to uh, they went to a central american country to help at an orphanage and they wanted to really do something to make those kids lives better a little lighter uh happier and so they decided they were going to build them a swimming pool and so they took a field mm. that the kids would play soccer in and stuff and they said oh, oh this is a big field this is a place where we get it. they brought all the materials i mean this must have been oh. expensive all the time they dug it out, they made the swimming pool, filled it up, played with the kids in the pool, had a great splashy time, and then they got up and left. People who have swimming pools know it's expensive to keep those things up. Lots of chemicals, you just got to keep up with it. It wasn't a high priority for that orphanage. They were in, working on things like getting right. enough food and school supplies. and th- you know. So, you know, the water got skanky. They had to drain it. And now there's a big pit where they used to play soccer. Oh, right? So I mean, that's tragic. Mm. Whereas if they had gone into it saying, so what would be most helpful? Yeah. What's the- yeah. Well, and I think every time, I mean, we have some partnerships. And every time we go, we learn new things. And mm-hmm. then we learn... Ooh, we did something wrong last mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we your eyes continue to be open. So mm-hmm. it if you continue to ask the questions, you continue to learn. Yeah. And I think you have to admit that you can be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And that that their context and their culture has things to teach us and man, I got to be open to that and uh and sometimes let let their lead be the driving force mm-hmm. you know when when i was working in a church and we would go to our guatemala partnership it, it was always you know what's something you're already working on mm-hmm. something you'd always want to be working on that we can come alongside um and we found that to be really helpful mm-hmm. and now year on year and year when the groups go down they will visit the places where they did the things in the previous years mm-hmm. It's a history, 25-year history mm-hmm. that they have together. That is that's, a, beautiful. that's a beautiful model. And then when, when those folks from Guatemala come up and visit the church, they work on projects we're working on. Mm. They get a hammer and they help us. So I've been to Raleigh Youth Mission before. And um, one of the things that always struck me that you haven't talked about yet is 
that often the debrief uh, includes artistic elements. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about why you do that and how that's different? Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing that uh, that uh, my wife at the time, Amy, and I started this program with. Um, we found that um, when we would debrief, some kids would be really into talking and thinking through their experience and verbalizing their experiences and that kind of stuff. And there would always be the kids that were just kind of not able to participate in that fully. Um Sometimes they were more introverted kids. Sometimes they just had a different take on things. Or the kids that are talking know what needs to be said. They're saying Jesus. Yeah. Right. 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 It's it's children's time all over again. The Sunday school answers. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we said, well, let's let's take a different take on it. And so we would give them some kind of art project to do. And the art project was a way for them to have self-reflection in a different kind of part of their brain. Uh, and sometimes it would be an individual thing. Uh, sometimes it would be a group collective project where they were working together on it. Um, and then we also found that those kinds of artistic projects become great um, interpretation pieces. When they go home to their church and they're talking about the trip, they can refer to the collage where mm-hmm. they're, you know, point, oh, and here's, oh, here's so-and-so's name. And we met him and we, you know, so that became a tool. It's another tool that we could use um, to help people uh, understand, reflect on their experience with different parts of the brain. So tonight, I feel like we've heard a lot of from one demographic, um, you know, privileged, you know, people we go, we help, we have something to offer and help people. Um, could you speak to the importance of everyone doing missions? Um mm-hmm. You know, for listeners who maybe are, you know, socioeconomic churches that cannot offer a lot to the people they're going to serve, mm-hmm. um, maybe the importance of relational ministries and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of the projects that we uh, engage in are not based on us bringing lots of stuff with us. Um, we have this whole thing of uh, popsicle ministry where we just kind of post up in a public park where we know lots of different people come through and uh, on a hot summer day offer them a popsicle. And why don't you sit down on the on the uh, blanket here with us and let's chat while you're here. So we get into relationships uh, with folks doing that. Um, and that's something that anybody and everybody can do. Um, and we found that... Um, some of the most uh, powerful projects that we have are with uh, alongside other folks who are local, who are members of the communities that we're in and can help interpret that. There's a, there's a program uh, in Asheville that's based on uh, a program that was started at Union Seminary in New York. Poverty Initiative, so the one in Asheville is Asheville Poverty Initiative. They have this program called Poverty Scholars. And the idea is that those folks who are living uh, in poverty, uh, struggling with trying to rise out of poverty, they know a lot of stuff, but it's not academic stuff. It's um, But it's stuff we don't know. It's stuff we have no clue about. So Tisha will sit down and talk with our groups about how she works this job 
But when she works too many hours, then food stamps get cut. And so then after the food stamps get cut, then the next month the boss says, well, I'm, I've got you scheduled for less hours. So now she's getting less income and less food. I mean, you know, it's this whole system that's in place that poverty scholars know things about and we don't. And so they are the teachers. We are the learners. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that, yeah, anybody uh, in any context has the ability to interpret that context for other people and to grow from that. But I think, uh, Jenny, you I'm not sure you were talking about people youth groups or people we work with, but we also, Jenny and I've worked on uh, recently a weekend where we have youth from different congregations working together. And Mm -hmm. that's a rich experience Mm -hmm. of um, youth who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and the experience of serving together uh, is powerful to have that conversation together that not to make assumptions um, about where they come from and I think we found that uh, our young people are able to go a little bit deeper and able to listen because they're careful about what they say um, because they have to think a little bit more with people from different backgrounds in the room. Yeah. They're a little bit more sensitive. Yeah. Now it's, now it's in the context of a relationship that mm-hmm. they've got with mm-hmm. somebody that's different. Yeah. yeah. That's what this is And they is may about. not yeah. understand it, but mm-hmm. they know that if they say something stupid, like, you know, well, we can eat whatever we want or our groceries are a hundred dollars every time we go to the grocery store. They don't say stupid things like that because they know that person's grocery bill may be a hundred dollars for a couple months. Mm -hmm. So they, they hesitate. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? (laughs) So in our local communities, what's the question we should be asking for people who are present who may not be part of our congregation. Um, for example, we have the unique situation where we have a outdoor basketball court at our church. And it used to be just kids from the neighborhood would come and I've watched them grow and I see them at the schools and they call me by name and I can call them by name. And now we have this influx of p- other people, young people, people of all different ages showing up at our church And I try to ask the question, hey, what can I get you guys? Or I'll bring them food outside if we have leftovers from something. But how do you engage them in conversation to find out if they have any other needs or if they just want this space to hang out Mm -hmm. um, without being like, I feel like I can offer you something out. (laughs) I feel like it's a, it's, it's a, I love that we are that safe space, but I want to know if there's anything else we can be doing for them at that time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or any time really yeah so i mean i th- i think it it for me it keeps going back to this concept of relationship building and um you know i, I have this uh it's also part of my parenting technique i will say <laughs> just like letting the game come to you you know or not and, assuming their needs right not not pushing too hard i mean i think you know, a lot of and a lot of our churches are now in neighborhoods that have changed, right? And so, there's how do we address that? How do we get to those needs and that sort of thing? And I think that when there's a comfort level between folks, then there will be more uh, more of a likelihood that they will share some thoughts. Well, here's my situation. You know, here's how I'm living. Um, yeah. One thing we've done uh, with 
we have some families in relationship and partnership together in a similar situation. And we've said, um, don't assume their needs or don't assume that because you see something that you think somebody needs, um, they might need it. Like, because John's not wearing shoes right now, don't assume he needs shoes, uh, because you have 13 pairs you want to give away and get rid of and clean your closet. Um, don't assume he needs those Mm -hmm. shoes, but if you're going to the grocery store and you're going to buy, um, you're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to buy, uh, your child who's friends with John, uh, a lunch that day, say, um, we're doing this. This is what we do. I'm buying John lunch. I'm buying my son a lunch. I'm going to buy you a lunch. Just buy the same thing, you know, and just make yeah. it a, a it's because it's a family yeah, and, and I, we do that for family equal. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that's right on. I think also to, to be open and vulnerable yourself with your own, uh, things that you're struggling with, which might not be a physical need necessarily or something else, but something that you're struggling with showing some vulnerability yourself, um, can help, uh, build a relationship. I'll just give a, a real quick, uh, example. There's a, uh, ministry for folks experiencing homelessness in Asheville that I would go to a lot and our groups would go to a lot. And we were known for having a presence there and providing hospitality. There was this one guy that like was really in a difficult situation, lots of addiction that just kept taking him down to the rock bottom. And, um, I had a, a loss in my immediate family. And the next time that I went to that place, he got up, got his cane and made a beeline for me and started ministering to me saying, man, I am so sorry for your loss, you know, and, and, and it was at that point, I was like, this is what this is really about, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it ways that we can make things reciprocal and, and have a mindfulness for other people. Thank you, Bill, for your time. We really appreciate this conversation. Um, thank y'all for your questions. Yeah. Thanks. Bill, if folks want to find out more about uh, all the different youth missions you're involved in or get in contact with you, how would they do it? Yeah. So youthmissionco.org will get you to all three of the location sites that will describe those programs. I'll also say this whole post-colonial uh, thing um, I describe in a little more depth through a webinar uh, that was done by the Presbyterian Youth Workers Association. PYWA. PYWA. So if you go to PYWA.org, you'll see um, the resources there. And you so can the webinar is available webinar. still to watch. Yes, yes. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks, y'all. This has been the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast. Join us in the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group to be part of the ongoing conversation.